Hello everyone, welcome to our Saturday Dhamma. We're gathered here to engage, to engage in a communal mindfulness activity. you have questions, I'm here to answer your questions. If you don't have questions, I'm here to practice mindfulness with you. Either way, if you have questions or don't have questions, this is an exercise in mindfulness. So, in the beginning, we can chat a little bit if you have greetings, want to say hello. Say what you like, want to chat, spend a little bit of time with Samodhaniya Kata, the Buddha, the texts call it Samodhaniya. Samodhaniya means sort of cordial talk, acknowledgement that communal discussion or Pleasantries are a useful activity, something that allows us to connect and get a sense of our community, of, of the, the, the people with whom we'll be communing. But when we get started, in a few minutes... I'm going to ask that you stop chatting and that we will not allow anything in the chat but questions. So if, there are any, if there's any discussion that isn't questions, we'll just be deleting it. Now at that time, you should close your eyes and join us in the practice of mindfulness. And if you have questions, open your eyes, post the question, and then just go back to meditating. Questions should be about practice. We're not here to indulge curiosity or cultivate intellectual activity, philosophy. We're here to cultivate mindfulness, insight, clarity of mind, enlightenment. So the best questions are going to be about practice. And the questions that will help you through getting an answer to progress on your path. Clear up doubts. Strengthen your right view. Direct you in the right direction. Encourage you in your practice. And help you find peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. If you don't have any questions, you don't have to look for them. We're just here to practice. All right, so I'm going to ask Chris now to, Chris is joining me, I'm going to ask him to begin to assemble questions if people have them. And once he starts, then we'll ask that you don't post any more chat in the, in the chat. Close your eyes, let's get to meditating, get to being mindful. Chris will ask the questions, I will answer them, and we'll all try to be as present as possible. Okay. 
There's one we can start with. Could you talk more on mindful walking? More than I've talked before. It's a bit of an open-ended question. I'm not sure what you've heard me talk about mindful walking. Um, there's a chapter on it in the booklet. Maybe you mean more than that. If you haven't read the booklet, that might be a good place to start. Hmm. I think I need a more of a specific question. What do you want to know? We have a more specific question. What's the benefit of noting stepping right or left? Aren't right and left concepts? It's not a matter of what are concepts. It's a matter of the object. All words are concepts. That's the nature of words. But words help to point the mind towards objects, which can be either conceptual or real. The right foot moving is real, whether you call it right or left or mine or yours or a shoe or a foot. Still... The experience of the right foot moving, that experience is real. And so when you say stepping right, that helps to direct the mind to that foot. The reason for starting out with using right and left is as a tool to bring a beginner meditator closer to the right, the proper foot. If you're saying stepping right, it helps to bring the foot closer, uh, the mind closer to the right foot as opposed to the left foot. As we go through the practice, if you ever do a at-home course or an intensive course in our tradition, you'll see we drop those and we give you further instruction. But you have to sort of work work that out with the teacher. And in the beginning, it's quite useful to say stepping right. I, I was, it was suggested to me that other ways of saying it, like the way I was taught it was right goes thus, left goes thus. I just found that a little bit awkward, so I switched but someone pointed out to me that starting with the word right is actually useful to bring the mind to the right foot. And so I acknowledge that. I just have a hard time with right goes thus, left goes thus. I prefer stepping right, stepping left. Though in Thai it also starts with right, kwa, yang, no. Which does literally mean something like right, stepping, Right goes forward thus or something in this way. But words are always concepts. They're just going to point to something. Since noting is an acknowledgement of what happens, should it always follow the event being noted, or should we try to align it with the event as it occurs? You can't align it with the event as it occurs because you don't know what's going to occur. It has to always be right after. If you're trying to align it, then you're anticipating the future. And at that moment you should note anticipating or thinking or wanting or something. Trying. Am I performing a bad karma if my family is suffering mentally because of me as they don't want me to practice the Dhamma? They have certain fears and attachments which make them think so. Are you performing a bad karma? A bad karma is something, is a state of mind that is inclined towards unwholesome things, either greed, anger, or delusion, one of the three unwholesome roots. If you have an intention in that regard, then that's unwholesome, that's bad karma. People suffering mentally, someone suffers mentally because of their own unwholesome mind states. In fact, 
mental suffering is unwholesome. It is bad karma. So they are performing bad karma. There's not a lot you can do about that. Some things you can do are try to cultivate um, some kind of commune, community, you know, what's the word? Harmony with them. Cultivate familial harmony where you are able to get along with them, come to some kind of understanding with each other. But anyone who doesn't want you to practice the Dhamma is performing very bad karma. So you, if you can try to help them to see the benefits of what you're doing, that would be great. But fear and attachment, that's bad karma. That's the cause of bad karma. It's because of those things that people do bad karma. If you don't have those, then you're not performing bad karma at all. Just because people think we're doing something wrong doesn't mean we're doing something wrong. But it often is an indication that we are. Even bad people. Even people, I mean, people who are intent on bad intentions and people like this who are confused and misunderstand. It often is a sign that we're going about it the wrong way. We, have, we might have a good intention to do good things, but the best way to check is whether you have greed, anger, or delusion. Delusion is a common one with people who practice the Dhamma. You might feel arrogant, like, who are these people? They don't know what's right. I know what's right. I don't deserve to be treated like this. I'm better than them, that sort of thing. All of that will cause you lots of problems. When doing walking meditation, is it okay to have attention on the sensations in the leg, or should one maintain attention on the foot? So it's okay to have to to be aware of those sensations, but yeah, you should put your attention on the foot. You'll be aware of a lot of different things, but just put your attention on the foot when it moves. I feel anxious when I meditate, been falling off the spiritual path and have lost interest. How do I regain that passion that I had when I first woke up and awakened? Well, I hate to break it to you, but if you feel anxious and if you're falling off the spiritual path and lost interest, you didn't wake up and you're not awakened. A person who is awakened will never fall off the path and they have no anxiety. But the good news is, you know what's wrong. You're anxious and you are disinterested. And Maybe also a bit of the problem is thinking that you have to be passionate because passion is not the, the way of the path. You have to be dispassionate. You have to, not, I mean, it's a bit of a an unpleasant word, I think. The idea of being dispassionate makes people think of like being a zombie, but you have to be above it you have to be free from need free from desire free from anxiety as well so you know being mindful of your anxiety would be a great start being mindful of your desire your maybe feeling of disappointment that you're not but the desire to be passionate again and so on also the delusion that you're awake and that you're you're enlightened or that sort of thing you know if you feel like i am i already got I already woke up well that's just a view attachment to any past experiences you had passion where you were passionate where you were in thought you were enlightened just be mindful of your memories of those thoughts and your yearning for it for them to arise again How to be mindful about listening. What should we focus on specifically? Just the sound, say hearing, hearing. I mean, if you're listening, then that implies that you want to hear it. So if it's someone speaking, you'll have to be able to go back and forth between focusing on the meaning and noting the hearing. But that's not so hard to do. Try and focus mostly on the hearing because the, the listening will come by itself. Just say to yourself, hearing, hearing, don't worry about listening or trying to understand. That'll come by itself. 
your mind's going to default to that because that's what it's used to. There's so many things. You're not just listening. You're also experiencing many things in the body, in the mind, thoughts, emotions, all that. Right now I am able to keep the five precepts and practice with quality for barely 10 minutes walking and 20 minutes sitting every day. Do I have to push to 30 and 30 to even just start the at-home course? Yes, you do. But it doesn't have to be 30, 30 all at once. If in the beginning you can only do 10 and 20, then do that in the morning and do, do it again in the evening. Do that twice a day, you've got your hour. But... We do want you to try to get half walking, half sitting. So push towards being able to do 30 minutes of walking and 30 minutes of sitting total every day. And that's to start the course. By the end of the course, the expectation is that you're up to two hours of total, total of meditation a day. So you have to be prepared to work up to that. How to deal with back pain while meditating, especially after a longer time, after one hour, for example? By seeing it just as pain. The back pain isn't the problem. The problem is you don't like it. So try to adjust that. Don't, don't worry about adjusting the pain or the back. Focus on adjusting the perception of it, the attitude towards it. And just say to yourself, pain, pain. If you dislike it, say disliking. If you move, say moving. If you want to move, say wanting to move. Also try to do walking as well as sitting. You might just be doing sitting and then it's going to be imbalanced. Walking will help straighten some of that out. Is it possible to run away from meditation when first new to it? Like when it gets hard, challenging things come up? It's an interesting choice of words, possible. It's kind of funny, actually. Like, like if I say no, you'll be too afraid to practice because you won't be able to run away. Or... Is it possible that someone might run away? You're concerned that that might happen to you and you don't want to run away? I'm not quite sure which way you're trying to phrase this. Do people run away from meditation when new to it? People do. It doesn't happen that often for me. I mean, people know we're pretty open and clear about what it is that we teach, so... Um, I don't think people, many people, I don't think many people get to the point where they want to take a course with me without actually knowing what I do. Those people who don't want to do it are already somewhere else doing something else. But for when it gets hard, I don't find so many people running away because it gets hard. I think uh, generally the experience is that people appreciate the challenge. There is often a concern that it's challenging and it's hard it's and 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 a, a bit of a misunderstanding that that's somehow wrong that's somehow a problem that's somehow something um negative about this this teaching but it's not hard to point out that that is actually the the point and the benefit is that it challenges you forces you out of your comfort zone helps you to see how you react to things, help you to see the nature of things as not worth clinging to and how clinging causes suffering and so on. You won't see that if it's very comfortable and easy. Well, you won't see that if you're not prepared to experience things as they are, which can often be uncomfortable and unpleasant.
When I meditate, I can't keep my back straight and relax unless I put my back on something. How can I do it by myself? Well, your back doesn't have to be perfectly straight. I don't require that. But it's not a question whether it's straight or not straight, or whether it's not even a question of whether your back is on something. Though, I tend to suggest not to put your back on something. We're just too relaxed when we do that and fall asleep easily. So if your back is straight and you're not relaxed, that's not a problem. If you're relaxed and your back is not straight, that's also not a problem. Just try and note whatever the situation is, whatever the condition is. Try to keep your back straight for a while maybe, and then when it's not straight, go with that. More important is that what your mind is doing, how you're reacting to things, how you're experiencing things and approaching them. Why is it so difficult to meditate daily? Well, this is a condition unique to you. It's not as hard to meditate daily for everyone. And for some people it's not just difficult, it's near impossible. So the answer is you, you're the problem. <laughs> That's mean, that's an awful thing to say, but no, it's a helpful thing to say because meditation is not a difficult thing. We are the we are the problem. And that helps you understand where success lies and and, and that there there is the possibility for meditation to not be difficult to do daily. In fact, meditation is one of the easiest things you can do. It's perfectly simple and easy and everything. We just can't abide by it because there's so many other things we'd rather be doing because it involves facing things that we don't want to face. It's all our reactions. So all you've got to do to meditate daily and to be comfortable meditating daily and, and really all the time is to fix all that, to to change all that, to come to terms with your reactions to things and Come to terms with the things you react to so that you no longer react to them, so that you no longer cling to them. It's, I mean, it's easy to say, of course. It's a big challenge. Took the Buddha four countless periods of time, four uncountable periods of time, like literally uncountable. And you think, oh no, we've got machines now that can count. No. I mean, maybe. But a human being can't comprehend how long those times periods were. I asked once how to get rid of porn addiction and your tips helped me. But now I need to know how to stop feeling attraction to certain parts of a woman's body as this is affecting my progress. Yeah, it doesn't start with stopping any feeling or, or any attraction. You don't stop attraction. You focus on the experiences, focus on the attraction, cultivate mindfulness about them. Use the mantra to remind yourself that they are what they are. Um, be aware and, and focused on your reactions to your attractions, you know, you don't like it or you want to get rid of it or so on, or you're worried about your practice. You have to be mindful of all of that to remind yourself worried, worried, or wanting, or disliking, or frustrated, and all that. You have to become an anagami. It doesn't affect your practice. Your pra your pra your, it doesn't affect your progress. Your progress is focusing on these things. They're not getting in your way. They are the way. I mean, they are the, the the object and the focus of your practice. Don't worry about feeling attraction. Use that as your object of meditation. It's not getting in the way. It is the way. It, I mean, it is what you have to focus on. What you have to learn about.
You previously mentioned that it could be problematic to go from one object of mindfulness to another without going back to the body after about two objects noted. Why is this the case? I've gotten so much. I don't know what to say, except you're all getting too li too obsessed. This is this question comes up again and again lately. People are very obsessed with these these specifics. Like you want some exact technique and 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 you want the right way. There is no right way. In general, after you note something, go back to the stomach, go back to the rising and falling. Why? Why should you do that? Because jumping from one object to another is just going to make you excited, anxious. It's going to be problematic for your focus. It's more useful to note something and then go back to the stomach. If not, it, it encourages um, seeking, it encourages anticipating, it encourages a sense of future and past and, and stuff that is not that useful. So try and note something, and once you've noted it, go back to the rising and falling. But there's no hard and fast rule. It's not. It's not like note one thing, or then or note two things, or, or about two things. Nothing like that. Once you note something, go back to the rising and falling. If that doesn't work, if somehow something else comes, and you, how it would work is you try to go back and look at your stomach, and then something else pops up, and then you note that. And when you once you've noted that, then go back to the rising and falling. Don't worry too much about the specifics. Try and just be mindful and, and follow the general advice of going back to the stomach after you've noted something. It's not going to work um, exactly perfectly every time, and that's fine. Just do your best and, and sort it all out. After you've sorted it out, it gets easier, and you note something, and then you go back to what you're doing, and then you note something else, and you go back to what you're doing. But it's not going to be always like that. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to, to jump on you about this question, but it keeps coming up, and I want to cut, nip this in the bud. Don't worry too much about these specifics. Just do it, and when it doesn't work, well, try it again. If one ordained in a Wat Chong Tong. How much time is he able to allow to formal walking and sitting practice each day? I have no idea what's going on in Wat Chom Tong now. I, I think you know, there must still be meditation going on there, but Ajahn Tong is, is passed away. Um, so your guess is good as mine. What sort of things monk that monks there are doing? I'm assuming you know, it's a big meditation center, so there must still be meditation going on. But it could very well change and change and change, and it's very dependent on which teacher you're with and that sort of thing. I guess I know more about Wat Rampung, which is in a similar tradition. And really the answer is you get a lot of time to do meditation. Like you do courses, and people are just, can just do courses. 10, 12, 14, 16, 18 hours a day. As life has become more challenging, I have the urge to live as a hermit. I sometimes daydream about this. Is this an escape mechanism or a genuinely wholesome interest? It's generally wholesome, I think. Generally wholesome. But wholesomeness is momentary. So the urge to live alone is, I think, a really good one to simplify and to just put behind all the craziness of the world. I mean, it, there's a lot of unwholesomeness in your reactions, of course, but when you see all your reactions to things and how you can't cope with the world and you acknowledge that you'd be best suited, you'd be best served by leaving society that's not a bad inclination if you can manage it you know without hurting others without being a burden on others there's nothing wrong with it 
that was the whole point of monasticism, Buddhist monasticism, how to do it, how to leave society in a way that wasn't a burden on people. And so all the rules and the, 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 li the, the lifestyle is designed to be as, as little burden on the world and really to be a, a help, you know, to do, to do that which benefits others as a means of getting them to leave us alone. <laughs> so we have a chance to do our thing and we help them and they help us and we're all happy. We aren't allowed to be rich and and comfortable because those things are a heavy burden on others and, and on ourselves. But it's not the answer. I mean, yes, a big problem is people want to run away from society and then they get there and they find they're not prepared for it. And they end up either A, bringing society with them or B, running back to society. Either way, it doesn't really help. You bring all your problems with you. You just really, really, you just have a better opportunity to deal with them if you choose to. People don't always choose to or aren't always able to. Don't always feel able to. Sometimes it has to do with not getting the right support or encouragement or instruction. Sometimes it's just because they're not ready. Can you give any advice on incorporating mindful practice into my exercise slash working out? That's pretty simple. The body is pretty simple. Pulling, pushing, lifting, placing, reaching, feeling, pain, pleasure, boredom, frustration, like, you know, liking, disliking. Read the booklet if you haven't. If you have, try and just adapt it to your workout. I mean, don't exercise is, I guess, my answer. I had one meditator who said uh, he, he was running up and down the stairs every day you know, on top of this mountain, and there were 700 stairs or something, and he would run up and down them. I said, why are you doing that? And he said, I want to keep in shape. And I said, I just laughed because it was, sounded so absurd. I knew what he meant, of course, I know English, but if, if, as a Buddhist monk, it sounded absurd, like what shape? A round shape? A square shape? We're all in some shape. So, ultimately, I had one, I have one meditator here, a new, and well, one, I, I guess he's not really a student yet, but he's interested in taking a course, and he's talking about how he's... Uh, how he used to be very much into uh, into training the body. Anyway, I, I, won't, I don't want to divulge his what he told me, but it was it's quite funny how he's changed. I sometimes feel intimidated by my older brother. How would I note that? Intimidated, that's a strange one, huh? So intimidated is probably complex. You want to be, you're maybe, want to be like him, maybe, you know, strong. You, you feel uh, disliking or fear that you're not as, fear, I guess, is the big one there. Worry, any kind of disliking complex, you know. There can also be liking there. You know, wanting to be like him. There can be uh, a delusion, you know, attachment to self-conceit, we call it, where you feel inferior. So thinking, any kind of thinking that you have about it. You can just say intimidated, intimidated, or even just feeling, feeling. 
but it's perfectly fine to just say intimidated, intimidated, until you get a more granular sense of what's going on in each moment, because it's probably more granular than that. Like there's there's moments of fear, moments of this, moments of that. In my practice, I feel like I reach to state of mind where I feel mind clearer and feeling very light by body, but it doesn't long last. How can I prolong that status? I don't teach people such things. So if you're looking for that kind of answer, I can't, don't have an answer for you. It's not what I teach. We teach people to see experiences as they are, to see them as impermanent, unsatisfying, and not self. So the fact that it doesn't last long, yeah, welcome to reality, that's, the, that's reality. The more clearly you see that, the less clinging there will be towards such experiences, and the more free you will become. All feelings are impermanent, we just learned that this morning in our study group. That's the danger, that's the disadvantage of them, the negative side of feelings. So we would teach you to say, Feeling, feeling, light, light perhaps, liking if you like it, wanting when you want it to come again. Is there any benefit to meditating with a half smile? What do you think, Chris? Not for the practice that you teach, Bhante. Why not? Because in a practice I've done previously, a half smile had benefit of making it easier to notice the breath, but we focus mm. on the chest rising and falling. Really? What is it about a half smile that makes it easier to note the breath? The upper lip is risen closer to the plosive area of the nose and the nostrils. Wow, I've never heard that before. See, I learned something new. So we don't want to make it easier. So that's why we're a spoil sport on all these things. And we don't focus on the breath anyway, so it's not really relevant. But... No, there's no benefit. I mean, there's a real disadvantage, I think, of meditating with a half smile because you become attached to pleasant sensations that are associated with smiling. You become attached to the idea of being happy. And you might not be happy all the time. And when you're not happy, then you'll be un unhappy. And not just unhappy, but unhappy because you're not happy, right? That sounds That sounds like I just said something stupid, but th the meaning is... You'll be unhappy, but you'll be even more unhappy because you're not happy. It's a devil unhappy, you know. Things will happen in life, and if a meditator can be unhappy, of course, we're still practicing. We're not. We're not. You know, if you're not at the, if you're not enlightened, you become unhappy. But a non-meditator is unhappy about being unhappy. You see, and that's where things like depression come from. A meditator becomes less and less that to start. They'll still be unhappy. That's a hard one. That's very near the end, really, when you stop being unhappy. But you stop being unhappy about being unhappy because you're not attached to being happy. You're just, when you're unhappy, you're aware that you're unhappy. And that's really an important first step because you're only half as unhappy. To be prepared for the vicissitudes of life. And even an enlightened person is not always happy. In the sense that they're not, they don't always feel pleasure. They don't always feel the feeling that you get when you smile. They do, and they do often, for sure. But they never feel unhappy. And they certainly don't feel unhappy about being unhappy, if they ever were. If that makes any sense.
When I'm going through the points and my attention turns to something else, when I come back, do I make an effort to come back to where I left off in meditation or start back at the first point? I wouldn't make too much of an effort. Making effort is always a little bit sketchy because it it kind of involves forcing. You know, effort is some effort really feels effortless in a sense. I mean, it is effort, but it's more energy. You feel energetic. I think effort is often misleading. It it it, it leads people to think you should push. Energetic is a better description because you're just energetic and that's what you should be working towards. Throwing off the sluggishness, the lethargy, the laziness and being energetic. So you should be energetic, but you don't have to make effort to come back. If you can't immediately remember where you were, just start it from, from the first point. It's not like you get a reward when you get to the end, right? I'm not going to give you a sticker if you get through it. I have heard you talk about artificial states of concentration before. Could you please elaborate a little on how to avoid these artificial states and perhaps how we can identify genuine mindfulness? Right. Um, well, first to say that all of all meditation is an artifice. It's like a crane. If you have a suppose you have a big elephant stuck in the mud, you want to get it out with something artificial. You use a crane to get it out of the mud, and that crane is totally artificial. It's just something you bring in from outside. And meditation is that. Meditation is always artificial. But um, the results of meditation, and this is what this refers to, the results of meditation are not always artificial. And what I meant by artificial, you know, because it really everything is natural. There's no such thing. Even the crane is natural. And so meditation is natural. But really, by artificial, it's a description of something that is temporary, that is um, forced out of context. And so it's really, um, it's a conventional word. In ultimate reality, everything is nature, of course. Good is natural, bad is natural. But when we use artificial, we mean it in these ways, like something that is out of context. And of course, context is all conventional as well. There's really no context, but it's pretty obvious. Like the crane didn't belong in the, in the swamp or it didn't belong in the forest, right? We know that, even though it's not true. It did and it does, and it isn't as natural as the elephant in the swamp. So how artificial states of concentration or what I would deem artificial states of concentration arise is through taking them as the goal. You practice a type of meditation and maybe you don't uh, consciously know or aren't consciously aware that that's the goal, but it is the goal. And so through, the pra through that practice, you become very concentrated, out of context, really so that you're concentrated in ways that you wouldn't naturally be concentrated. Maybe you focus on a color or a candle flame or even just a word. In some religious, religious traditions, it's the word itself. But usually it's an object like a candle flame and you would say to yourself, fire, fire, a disc of white and you would say white, white or that sort of thing. And the result of that is becoming very concentrated. And it's not bad just because it's artificial, but it is artificial. There's nothing about your situation that means you should feel that concentration. You created an artifice, use, using an artifice, created this state of concentration. It's temporary. Um, so to avoid those artificial artificial states of concentration not that they're bad they're actually not but to not get overly obsessed or uh, misdirected by them to the point where you think they're enough or where you get obsessed with maintaining them stop focusing on them stop trying to make them arise stop worrying about any kind of concentration at all try to see things clearly and concentration comes with it there was a famous teacher in thailand um who who talked about a log 
He said concentration and mind and insight, I think is what he said, or tranquility and insight. He says like two sides of a log. If you pull one up, the other side of the log is going to come with it. Um, actually, that may have been a bad analogy because I'm not sure that, that I agree with him. Bad one for me to use because I'm not sure that I agree with him. But except to say that in this case, it's true. When you focus on mindfulness, it really brings both tranquility and insight up. There's no question that they come together. It is possible to have meditation where no insight or no clarity of mind arises. Or, let me qualify that, no clarity of mind relating to reality. What we call vipassana cannot arise because the object is something conceptual. It's not quite what you asked, but, but that's maybe a part of the answer. Don't focus on conceptual objects. Try and focus on ultimate reality. And that what that does is it keeps you from getting sidetracked by pleasant states because reality is not always pleasant and it's certainly not stable. So the concentration has to be much more real and much more flexible and adaptable and it feels much more natural when it does arise because it's unfazed by the vicissitudes of life. I hope that helped. I think it wasn't entirely clear, but it's a complicated subject. Ultimately, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Practice the way I teach, because I have, you know, well, all I can say is, yes, practice the way I teach. That's what I have to offer. If you decide not to, I have no hard feelings, but my recommendation is, well, it's in a booklet. We have an at-home course if you want to do that. How to deal with restlessness, especially when doing a lot of sense restraint, such as no music, no entertainment, no distraction, solitude, etc. You, you, you practice. I mean, there's no... These questions of how to deal with... Um, it's not a bad. They're not bad questions. It's just you have to understand that that is the practice. It's challenging. There's no... I have no shortcut for you. If you're restless, mm, yeah you probably be restless for a long, long time. Only an arahant is free from restlessness. So you practice, work at it. It's hard. One thing I could say is that balancing the faculties can be facilitated through things like changing your posture. If you're restless, especially lying down or at least sitting down can help. But if you're sitting and you feel restless, even try lying, because lying can be good when you're restless. But ultimately, it's just work, 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 training. There's no reason to be restless. It's just a bad habit. How can we become wary of artificial mindfulness? I don't know what that means. I don't think there is such a thing. If you want, you could... Um, I did a video on wrong mindfulness. I think you could just look it up. Chris, could you verify that? Is there a video of mine called wrong mindfulness? I've seen such a video. I believe you were talking at some... Are you able Bank to look event? it up now? No. Let me take a moment. No, it was at a conference. Anyway, I, th I, th I think I shouldn't bother you with that. I'm pretty sure there is one called Wrong Mindfulness. It may not be the full title, but if you look that up with my name, it, it should come up and you can read that. I mean, it doesn't answer your question, I don't think, but if but you're implying that there's some sort of wrong mindfulness, and that's the talk I gave, because they asked me to give a talk on wrong mindfulness, sort of my understanding. And I had a hard time with it at first, because I went, what the heck is wrong mindfulness? <laughs> so I tried to explain what the Buddha would have meant by that. Mitcha sati. I've found it and placed the video link in the chat. That's it.
Can you please elaborate on the definition of clinging? Clinging is strong craving. Really is just craving. We have what we call tanha, which is often translated as craving, and then we have upadana, which is clinging. So craving leads to clinging. It's like it metastasizes. I don't know if that's even the right word, but it solidifies, it coalesces, it becomes strong. So it's not categorically different, it's just you can see that there's something has happened where it's become habitual. Sometimes while meditating, some insects like spiders can walk onto us, which makes me frightened, and suddenly open my eyes in panic. How to be mindful about the fear of such insects crawling over? Just say afraid, afraid. I mean, it's not even just fear, because by the time you've panicked, it's not the fear that's there, it's the... Uh, well, it could still be fear, I suppose. Uh, but if you've just jumped, like if someone scares you, boo, and you jump... Um, I'm not sure what your situation is, but if that happens and then you realize, oh, it's just a person or in this case, oh, it's just an insect and you're not scared anymore, but you still have the physical sensations and so on. Of course, when you are afraid and if you are if you are literally afraid of spiders, so you're like freaked out, there's a spider on you, just note the fear, say afraid, afraid. It's kind of funny. I guess I grew up with, I grew up in nature around lots and lots of insects, so I've never been afraid of spiders not more than is healthy, and oh, that, that one's probably poisonous, and yikes, I should stay away from it, but it's funny watching people, like when I was in Sri Lanka, watching people just freak out over, over spiders, like like irrationally, and, and here in our center, there's often someone, well, there's always someone who, not just someone, but many people, who uh, gets afraid of the centipedes in, in their room, or spiders in their rooms, like like totally innocent little bugs. Um, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be laughing at that, but it's it, I'm, my the reason for bringing it up is because it's irrational, and as our practice is to overcome irrationality, to to see things clearly. So yeah, it's, it can be a very serious condition, but something you have to work at. Is it possible to get a glimpse of the jhanas during meditation? How would one know if one is on the correct path? Hmm, I don't really want to answer this question. I don't like questions about the jhanas because it's so... I don't even know where you're coming from, so how I can answer you. There's just They mean so much, such different things to different people and... It's not really how I teach and what I focus on and that sort of thing. Um, and so I'm not sure if the second question is how would one know if one is on the correct path to reach jhana or just generally how would one know if he's on the correct path. So I guess I'll focus on that question and just discard the... F I'm going to just not answer the first part. Um, but knowing that how you're on the right path is by the quality of your practice. It's not by the results. That's an important thing to understand, that if you're focused on results, you're not practicing and you're never going to be satisfied or it's be hard for you to be satisfied because results are unpredictable. There's the results of many things, many past things we've done, and so that's all mixed up. So to, to say that I'm going to practice and the results are going to be clear as day, certainly not the case. It's complicated. We have such complicated states in our mind. But... During the time you're really meditating, you can see that your mind is in a good way. It's clear. You're you're seeing things. You're you're pure. You're objective. That sort of thing. Try and fixate on fix on that. Fix your mind on that. Then you'll start to have confidence that you're on the right path. You don't have to worry about what the results are, because it's clear that what you're doing is right, and right things don't lead to wrong things. In meditation, you mention observation is not something accomplished in the moment. 
I can see it with mental sensations, but it appears to be in the moment with physical sensations. That's because physical sensations last longer than mental ones. Um, but the experience is still right after. The noting is still not the moment that you're also noting, or that, sorry, that you're also experiencing. It's still the moment after. You're still reacting to what you just experienced. You have to be. Because you don't know. When you decide to note, you don't know that you're also experiencing at the moment that you're, you're going to note, right? Otherwise you'd be anticipating. So just so even though you say pain, for example, or 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 feeling, or so on, and then you also notice that the f the feeling or the pain continued into the time that you were noting, well, you notice that after again, right? So it's always going to be right after. Anyway, this isn't really something. This is also these questions are very technical. It doesn't matter really. You note when you experience it. Just don't go about anticipating or waiting or expecting. That's that's a problem. Sometimes during the sitting practice, I can't come back to the breath for most of the sit. Even coming back to the posture is almost impossible in that state. Any advice? Well, you have to be more more specific about what the state is. I don't know what state you're referring to, but if you're distracted, you should note that. If you're overwhelmed, you should note that. If you're just falling asleep or daydreaming, you should note that. There's lots of different states. It's hard. It's it's going to be hard in the beginning for, for most people. For people who haven't done it before, who don't have any past experience or, or past life experience in it. Be prepared for a challenge. That's a good thing. It's good to be challenged. Be, be, be encouraged that you're going to be challenged by the practice. It's not going to be some simple hobby that you take up. You're not going to be perfect at it. Wanting to be perfect at it, that's a big, big barrier, a big thing, something that you have to discard early on, thinking that somehow you're going to do it perfectly. When someone suffers from depression, they will usually express that they have no desire to meditate. How can this be overcome? Well, you don't need desire to meditate. You don't need desire to meditate. Hmm. You need... You need clarity of mind to meditate. And you need an inclination, so it feels like desire. You have to have an inclination to meditate. But why that's different, and how I'm not just mincing words here, is because an inclination can come, and, and in this case should come, from things like, like wisdom and understanding. The understanding for someone who is depressed that they need to come to is that depression is wrong, it's useless. There's no benefit. There's nothing good that comes from being depressed. You don't need desire. You just have to understand how ridiculous you are. It's kind of ridiculous to be depressed. And not every person, of course, many people who are depressed don't realize that. There's a sense that it's happening to you, and that's kind of true. It's not you who are choosing to be depressed. But you're encouraging it, you're reinforcing it, you're engaging in it. And you see, a person who's depressed is often under the impression that they're too depressed to do anything. When in fact, they're doing something very actively. And that's re reinforcing the depression all the time. And that's an active thing. So mindfulness, in a sense, is not adding something, it's taking away that. Mindfulness is always about taking away taking away our habits, our activities, removing them, simplifying them. It is much simpler to say, I'm depressed. Um, 
mindfully than it is to be depressed to to say it as a means of reinforcing the depression you see when you say oh i'm so depressed you're not just saying i'm depressed you're depressing yourself you're 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 upset you're disliking it you're feeding it it's much simpler to say depressed depressed it's much simpler to say it mindfully so you're not actually doing anything you're you're doing less than you were before that's the point that's the whole point of mindfulness to do less than you were doing before and we think we we don't realize that right you, you think i'm telling you to add something this this word i'm saying oh no add a mantra in there and you think oh why do i have to add that you're always saying something god i'm so depressed you're already saying something just change it Simplify it. Cultivate clear thoughts, not depressive thoughts. Have a clarity to your thoughts. Do you believe that people can plot against each other for their gain? How to meditate peacefully among them? I don't understand that. Like the first question seems obvious to me. Yes. Why wouldn't I believe that people can plot against each other for their gain? Isn't that common knowledge? The second question is interesting. How to meditate peacefully among them. Try not to be among such people. That's the best advice. When you have to, well, try to keep to yourself. Keep to yourself, keep to yourself. It's good advice. Keeping to yourself is a means of blossoming. That sounds maybe that sounds maybe kind of hokey, new agey, or fruity. But blossoming is like when a plant like a, a flower working on itself. You, know, you work on yourself and you blossom, meaning you do affect other people. You do interact with others, but it comes all from the work you do on yourself. And it's true that plants, people, meditators like plants, need nourishment, need the sun, you, know, you need things that are going to support you. But ultimately you do the work you find supportive nourishment as best you can and then you grow. Do your growing. Don't worry about the other plants in the garden. Try your best. Keep to yourself. Try your best to grow. Can one be mindful of other parts of the body, like the face or the hands, even if no prominent phenomena appears there? It feels weird to leave parts of the body out of the meditation. And just say feeling, feeling. Weird, weird. <laughs> feeling weird. Hmm. It doesn't probably feel weird, but you might have a curiosity or a worry. That's probably what you're feeling. So you have to pinpoint what exactly you're feeling and try and note that. Wondering, maybe. Disliking, maybe. Worry worry that, that there's something wrong with what you're doing because you're not noting every part of the body. That's irrelevant. No. You don't have to be aware of it. You don't have to be mindful of everything. You only have to be mindful of one thing to become enlightened. As long as that one thing is real, it's sufficient. Okay, it's after four o'clock, so I'm going to say enough for today. Thank you, really good questions. Really good set of questions. I hope the answers were helpful. Thank you all for coming out, for meditating with us. This is the point where everyone can chat again, say what you like. 
Tell us how great it was. Don't tell us how awful it was. Uh, is that fair? I don't know. Well, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. That's, I think, important. If it was terrible, just don't, don't come back again. That's fine. But thank you. Thank you all. Hope, hopefully there was mindfulness involved and everyone was trying to be as mindful as they could. And I say sadhu. It, it is good. Have a good have a good day everyone. Next session will be is expected to be on Wednesday at eight PM Eastern. But that's only an expectation. I can't promise it. If I'm here and you're here, we'll see each other then. Hear each you'll hear me then. If one of us is dead by then, then that won't happen. Something else happens, it also might not happen. So anyway. Be mindful. Have a good day.